Flight Attendant Paula Prince buys a bottle of cyanide-laced Tylenol. On October the 1st, 1982, Prince was found dead, making her the final victim of a mysterious ailment in Chicago, Illinois. Over the previous few days before Prince's death, six other people had died of unknown causes in northwest Chicago, but all were linked together. Richard Keyworth and Philip Catapelli, firefighters in the Windy City, realized that all seven victims had ingested extra-strength Tylenol before becoming sick. After further investigation, they found out that several bottles of Tylenol capsules had been poisoned with cyanide. It would be best if you were wondering now what this is all about. Well, welcome to Freakier Than Fiction. I'm your host Chad, and just as you know, in each episode together we will dive into the world of chilling thrills, unexplained mysteries, and creepy stories that actually occurred. So, if that kind of thing interests you and you haven't done this already, kindly hit that follow or subscribe button so you don't miss the next freaky episode. As this podcast is intended for mature audiences, listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the case that changed how we consume medicine today. Let's look at it together. The odds are that you have had some moments of frustration trying to open new bottles of aspirin or other over-the-counter medications. Perhaps your fingernails are not up to the task of breaking the seal on the plastic wrap, or maybe the pop-up cap is a challenge, seemingly designed to be both child and adult proof. The foil covering the lip of the bottle may defy neat tearing, and then you struggle to remove every wisp of the cotton wad standing between you and the medicine. But the odds are also good that you are reassured that even if you are a bit annoyed, all those layers of protection mean you may reasonably trust that the pill you're about to pop is safe. The story behind to why the seal is in place is genuinely terrifying. It was early on the morning of September the 29th in 1982, and a tragic medical mystery began with a sore throat and a runny nose. Then Mary Kellerman, a 12-year-old girl from Elk Grove Village, a suburb of Chicago, told her mother and father about her symptoms. They gave her one extra-strength Tylenol capsule that unbeknownst to them was laced with the highly poisonous potassium cyanide. Mary was dead by 7 o'clock that morning. Within a week, her death would panic the entire nation, and only months later, it would change how we purchase and consume over-the-counter medications to this very day. Later that day, 27-year-old Adam Janus died from potassium cyanide poisoning. Following Adam's death, his brother Stanley Janus, who was 25 years old, and his sister-in-law, Teresa Janice, who was 19 years old, were overcome with grief. Unsurprisingly, each had a severe headache as a result of the ordeal. They both consumed one capsule of extra-strength Tylenol from the same bottle used by Adam earlier that day. Within two days, both Stanley and Teresa were dead. They died from potassium cyanide poisoning. Over the next few days, three more people would consume Tylenol 
and later die from potassium cyanide poisoning before investigators realized that the deaths were connected. In total, seven Chicago residents died as a result of consuming capsules of extra-strength Tylenol, which had all been laced with the highly poisonous potassium cyanide. McNeil Consumer Products, a subsidiary of the healthcare giant Johnson & Johnson, manufactured Tylenol, and, to its credit, the company took an active role with the media in issuing mass warning communications. It immediately called for a massive recall of the more than 31 million bottles of Tylenol still on the shelves, and tainted capsules were discovered in early October in a few other grocery stores and drugstores in the Chicago area. But, fortunately, they had not yet been sold or consumed. McNeil and Johnson & Johnson offered replacement capsules to any of those people who turned in pills that had already been purchased and a reward for anyone with information leading to the arrest of the individual or people involved in these random murders was issued. Due to this incident, stricter standards to prevent pharmaceutical tampering were soon implemented, such as tamper-resistant packaging and tampering with medications became a federal crime. Other significant changes was going from a capsule to a solid caplet in the shape of a pill as the capsules were found to be easier to tamper with without any noticeable signs of tampering. After the investigations began, Johnson & Johnson received several letters from James William Lewis claiming that he was the one who had tampered with the capsules and demanded $1 million to stop. Because he and his wife lived in New York at the time and had no ties to Chicago, Police did not find much credible evidence to suggest that Lewis was actually the culprit. He was, however, arrested for extortion and served 13 years in prison on top of additional multi-year sentences for unrelated crimes. Other suspects arose, but police could not tie any of them to the Tylenol murders. There were other copycat poisonings involving Tylenol and other over-the-counter medications which cropped up again in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Still, these events were never as dramatic or as deadly as the 1982 Chicago area deaths. Conspiracy theories about motives and suspects for all these heinous acts continue to be banded about on the internet today. Before the 1982 crisis, Tylenol controlled more than 35% of the over-the-counter pain reliever market, and only a few weeks after the murders, that number plummeted to less than 8%. The dire situation, both in terms of human life and business, made it imperative that Johnson & Johnson executives respond in an authoritative and swiftly manner. For example, Johnson & Johnson developed new product protection methods and an ironclad pledge to do better in protecting their consumers in the future. Working with FDA officials, they introduced a new tamper-proof packaging, which included foil seals and other features that made it obvious to a consumer if foul play had transpired. These packaging protections soon became the industry standard for all over-the-counter medications. The company also introduced price reductions on a new version of their pills called the Caplet, a tablet coated with slick, easy-to-swallow gelatin, but far more complicated to tamper with than the older capsules, 
which could easily be opened, laced with a contaminant, and then placed back in the older, non-tamper-proof bottle. Within a year, and after the investigation of more than $100 million, Tylenol's sales rebounded to their healthy past, becoming the nation's favourite over-the-counter pain reliever again. Critics who prematurely announced the death of the brand of Tylenol were now praising the company's handling of the matter. Indeed, the Johnson & Johnson recall became a classic case study in business schools nationwide. In 1983, the US Congress passed what was called the Tylenol Bill, making it a federal offence to tamper with consumer products. And in 1989, the FDA established national guidelines for manufacturers to make all such products tamper-proof. After the 25th anniversary of the crime renewed public interest in the case, the police received several new tips and went back over the old evidence. In 2009, they conducted another search of Lewis's home and later received a sample of Lewis's DNA for analysis, but found nothing to incriminate him further. The FBI even requested DNA samples from the Unabobber Ted Krasinski, who had terrorised the same area just a couple of years earlier. Still, he denied any involvement with the potassium cyanide case. The actual perpetrator was never found, and the police failed to determine the motive behind the act. Sadly, the tragedies that resulted from the Tylenol poisonings can never be undone, and the Tylenol murders have now become a cold case. What do you think about this story? Thank you so much for listening to the Freakier Than Fiction podcast. If you got something out of today's episode, then kindly hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next freaky installment. And I'd love your feedback, as it will really let me know what you think about this episode. Take the time to leave a review and tell me what you'd like to cover in new episodes. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram. It's at Freakier Than Fiction, all one word. And on my Instagram, you can also find a Linktree account that has links to all my social media accounts, including Facebook, Reddit, and a YouTube channel, which is currently in the works. I do make sure to read all my direct messages and answer them personally. But until next time, take care out there, and be aware.